Good morning. I wonder if you're ready to study God's word today. Amen. Oh, we're going to have so much fun today. And so uh, we don't have any note-taking guide. And uh, a lot of the scripture that we're going to look at is going to be uh, moving along quickly. So we'll have everything on the screen today. If you'd like to go back and watch online later this week to catch some of the quotes and some of the passages of scripture that we are going to look at. But today is the launch of our Christmas series that we're calling Give God's Greatest Gift. And what is the greatest gift? Or, or maybe I should put it this way. Who was the greatest gift of Christmas? Jesus. And so uh, one of our favorite passages of scripture is John 3.16. Uh, let's read this out loud together. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. And the gift of Jesus is something that has impacted the world in more ways than we can even realize. And so today, we're going to wrestle with a question. We're going to think about, for our time together today, what might the world have been like if we had never received the greatest gift of Christmas? What if Jesus had never come to this earth? A history professor from Princeton University, Jaroslav Pelikan, says that regardless of what anyone may personally believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of that history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? Walt Disney's daughter uh, wrote a book about her life, and she talks about how when she was just a little kid that she didn't really fully understand what her father did for a living. It just didn't make sense to her. And one day she was at school and her friends said, you know, you know, Mickey Mouse and the Magic Kingdom? That's your dad. And she's like, no way. And she went home and she said to her father, dad, why did you never tell me? You're Walt Disney. <laughs> that she didn't understand all that her father had accomplished. And I wonder if sometimes we fail to comprehend the scope of the influence that Jesus has had in every area of society. That we miss something when we only see Jesus in, in just a religious context or in just a churchy context. And so today we're going to imagine what might the world be like if we had never experienced and received the greatest gift of Christmas, Jesus. And I want to thank John Ortberg for a lot of the research today that comes from his writings. Uh, as we get into this, first of all, can we acknowledge that if you were going to pick a, a candidate to be the, the most influential man in all of history, you probably would not pick Jesus. He was not a political leader. He was not a military leader. He had no official position. He had no official power. He never wrote a book. 
He never traveled the world. And the 12 disciples who followed him were nothing special either. The Bible says that these men who were closest to him were just ordinary, everyday, uneducated men. And yet they built the church of Christianity. And some people say, oh, well, what does the church matter anyway? Many people today say, well, the church is just an irrelevant institution that should have no role in our society. And I understand the church is not perfect, but that reveals a lack of understanding of what Jesus has done, leaving an imprint on society. In fact, uh, while we, we have a hard time understanding this now, the church was something very unique when it started. Because yes, there were other religions, yes, there were other temples, yes, there were people who worshipped a multitude of gods, yes, there were even the Jews who worshipped the one true God. But with Jesus, with the church, there was something unique. Because every other religious system had been designed around family lines and national lines, political lines, around ethnic groups. But then Jesus comes along and has something completely different. Look at how different the church was to be. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian. By the way, what that means is if you're a barbarian, you are welcome here today. Uh, Sisyphean, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Jesus originated this radical idea of a, of a community where people come together in peace and love, breaking down racial barriers, breaking down ethnic barriers, breaking down socioeconomic barriers, breaking down gender barriers. In the ancient world, where could you go to find women being treated with dignity and respect and put in positions of leadership and authority? It was in the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you just Google women in leadership in the early church, you'll find how the church elevated women to positions of authority and leadership, which was unheard of. That was radical and countercultural. 2,000 years ago. Let me ask you, how many of you know someone uh, who has been addicted to drugs or alcohol and received help through something like Celebrate Recovery here at Moncton Wesleyan or Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous? Uh, Anonymous. How many of you know somebody who has received help through some type of 12-step program? Raise your hand. Absolutely. Well, those 12-step programs originate from the early 1900s from a Jesus movement called the Oxford Group. No Jesus, no 12 steps. Jesus changed how we think about history. Uh, why do we celebrate New Year's Day the day that we do? Well, what you have to understand is that in early Judaism, that when a baby boy was born, on the eighth day, that child was brought to the temple to be circumcised, and that was the day that you gave a child its name. So let's count together. Christmas, December 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 
29, 30, 31, January 1st is the day that Jesus was circumcised and the name Jesus first was spoken into the world. Even if you don't realize it, you cannot escape the reach of this Jesus. And you say, well, was Jesus really born on December 25th? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know exactly because the way they dated things was a little different than the way that we do today. Uh, look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, that looks like a really clumsy way to date something. Why didn't they just tell us what year it happened, what date it happened? Well, see, back then, time was dated by who was in power. So you might say that something happened in the first year of the reign of Augustus, or something happened in the fifth year of Tiberius, that who was in power determined how time was told. But then 500 years later, the Caesars of Rome had faded, and the influence of Jesus had not. And a Scythian monk proposed a new type of calendar. His name was Dionysius Exegus. Uh, so if you're looking for a name for your new baby, that's a great one there. <laughs> Dionysius Exegus in Latin means Dennis the Little. He was just a little guy. Now, he was also known as uh, Dennis Delinquitus, which means Dennis the Menace. Did you? Okay, that's, that's not true. That's a, that's a John Artberg joke, so don't blame me. But Dionysius proposed uh, that we mark time not by who was in political power, but by whom holds the keys to spiritual power. And so the calendar that he designed is the one that we still use today around the world. Now, his calculations were off by about four years, we believe, uh, because, again, he was basing it on a number of factors that today we have astronomy and, and uh, the records of, like, when Herod the Great ruled over Israel, and those help us narrow it down to the year Jesus was probably born by Dionysius' calendar uh, somewhere around 4 B.C., but nevertheless, we still date time by the birth of the most important man who ever lived. 2,000 years later, every time you look at a calendar, every time you turn on your phone, every time you schedule an event, every time you celebrate your own birthday, you are reminded that Jesus is the hinge of human history. That's where A.D. comes from. Anno Domini, when we say something happened in 1950 A.D., that is Latin, Anno Domini, which means, everybody say together, the year of our Lord. And so now, when any other ruler dies, we mark it by the life of the one true ruler, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so when Caesar Augustus died in 14, we say 14 A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Nero died, Napoleon died, Joseph Stalin died. 
Hitler died. All of these men who came with aspirations to take over and dominate the world have died. And every nation that has risen and every nation that has fallen, we date by the birth of this one man, Jesus. Sometimes uh, we freak out in our modern culture when someone uh, takes Christ out of Christmas. We think, you know, we, we'll see a store that has Merry Xmas, and we go, oh, no, don't take Christ. Listen, do you know where the X comes from? Historically, that is a Christian thing. Historically, Xmas is cross mass. The, the, the X in Greek stands for Chi. What is that in English? Christ. And so if you see a store owner that says, Merry Xmas, you can just say, thank you for remembering everybody that Christmas is about the cross, that Jesus died for our sins. We, we get upset when people say, happy holidays, and school started having, you know, holiday break instead of Christmas break. Next time you go to Walmart, <laughs> because you know where that comes from? Holy days. And at Walmart, you know, they have corporate policy maybe, and says so you can't say Merry Christmas, or I don't know what company has that policy, but some do. And they, they, can, they have to say by corporate policy, happy holidays. You can say, yes, these truly are some of the holiest days of the year because of Jesus. You cannot escape his reach no matter how you try. Jesus shaped how we value human life. In the first century, the Roman philosopher Seneca said, we drown children at birth when they are weak and abnormal. No shame. That's just the way it was. You didn't want a child, you kill it. Things come around in society, don't they? And we're back to that again in our modern society. See, back then, that was just the way the world worked. They weren't ashamed of killing babies. If you did not want a baby, you literally could take it out and leave it in a field exposed to the elements to die crying all on its own. But the history books tell us of these early Christians who would go out into the fields to rescue these babies that had been left to die. Why would they do such a thing? Because Jesus said, let the little children come to me, valuing human life in a way that society did not. Sociologist Rodney Stark says one of the main reasons for the expansion of the church came because of two major epidemics that destroyed a fourth or a third of whole populations. And so when people would would be sick sometimes they would just throw them out on the streets and christians would come along from this radical little group called the church and gather them up and care for those they didn't even know people to whom they were not related and they would care for the sick and the the poor and the elderly and the lame and the blind in fact in the council of nicaea in 325 AD, it was determined that in any city where there was a church, there should be a hospital. Uh, whenever you go to a hospital called St. Jude or Good Samaritan or St. Vincent, it was originally founded 
for the purpose of following the model of Jesus. In the 1800s, there was a deeply religious man in Geneva, Switzerland, who started a ministry to be able to help people in times of crisis that we call the Red Cross today, ministering to people in 186 countries in times of crisis. In the 1800s, William Booth started a, a Jesus-focused movement called the Salvation Army that today, on an annual basis, ministers basic needs to over 16 million people in the name of Jesus. Professor Mark Nelson from Westmont College says, if you ask, what is Jesus' influence on medicine and compassion? I would suggest that wherever you have an institution of self-giving for the lonely, schools, hospitals, hospices, orphanages for those who will never be able to repay, this probably has its roots in the movement of Jesus. See, whether we realize it or not, so much of what we take for granted actually originated in this movement of Jesus by the church. That's why this year, if you've been around here for a while, you'll notice that this year we're doing the Christmas offering a little different. And it's not because we're just rolling in finances and everything is wonderful. If you're new around here, you may not know that you know, the church has been through a lot of transition over the last few years. And, and so if you look at our finances, you see that we're not in the greatest position financially. And yet we are stepping out and doing something that we've never done before. And you'll receive a Christmas letter this week. Many of you, if you don't, you can go to the website if you didn't happen to make it on that, that mailing list. And you'll see that, that this year we're giving, number one, which has not been unusual, to Haiti and our missions to people in great need in one of the poorest countries in our hemisphere. Number two, to improve our outreach and our facilities right here to the hurting in our city. And number three, to partner with ministries and invest in ministries and organizations around our Moncton region who help those who are hurting. And what we're going to do in two weeks on December 17th is we're going to have our missionaries, Carl and Maya, here from Haiti. We are going to have our missions team that's going to be going there in a few months. We are going to have community leaders, and we're going to pray with them. We're going to give them a big fat check. We're going to celebrate with what God is doing in their lives because, listen, Jesus blesses a heart of generosity. That's the kind of church we want to be. You're not going to want to miss that day. How about education? In Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus said the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and everybody say it together, with all your mind and with all your strength. What does it mean to love God with all of your mind? Let's talk about education. From the earliest roots of Christianity that found its origins in Judaism, the church of Jesus has always said that your spirituality is not devoid of your intellectual capacity. And so in the Western Hemisphere, some of the greatest institutions of learning, the first college in Paris, 
in the 1100s, then Cambridge and Oxford in the 1200s, then universities in Naples and Rome and places like Heidelberg, all started by followers of Jesus to pursue God with our mind. Even in North America, look at this statement. This is from a college handbook. And, and as I read this statement from an old, old college handbook, I want you to try to guess which university it comes from. It says, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, John 17, 3, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. This is a direct quote from the handbook. It goes on to say in the student handbook that students must study the Bible two times a day and seek the Lord in prayer. Are you ready to guess? This is from Harvard University, founded in 1636. And in 1696, Harvard adopted the motto, truth for Christ and the church. Today, that is still written on old buildings all around campus, but people don't realize it because it's written in Latin. For Christ and the church. You've heard of Yale. Yale University was started for people who wanted an even more spiritual experience than Harvard. That, that Columbia in New York City Founded in 1754, actually Columbia, which originated King's College in Halifax, came out of Columbia in New York City, was founded in 1754 with the motto, in God's light, we shall see the light. Princeton, Dartmouth, Rutgers, look at this statistic, 92% of the first 138 universities founded in America were from the influence of this uneducated carpenter from Galilee named Jesus. How about Canada? You know, in Canada, the five oldest universities in our country were all associated with the church. Now, now think about, for just a minute, what if Jesus had never come? What might the world look like? In the 1400s, Gutenberg printed the very first book on a printing press. In the 1400s, what was the very first book that he printed on the printing press? It was a Bible. Why? It allowed for the first time the ability for books to be in the hands, not just of the rich, but even the poor, that everyone could be educated. It's the movement of the church. How about music? Imagine a world with no music from Johann Sebastian Bach, no Handel's Messiah, no Mozart's Requiem, no Justin Bieber's Baby, Baby, Baby. <laughs> and, and did you know that the modern system of writing music on paper, on a staff like this, originated in the late 800s A.D. by monks in the church to better sing praises to this Jesus. Jesus changed political theory. In Matthew 22, verse 21, Jesus said, 
give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. Now forget about religious history for just a minute and think solely in political terms. Think about governments. Up until this point, governments had always been intertwined with religion. But with the teachings of Jesus from Augustine on through to Martin Luther in the 1500s and John Locke, who in great part developed our idea of what we think of in terms of democracy, developed this idea of limited government, that, that, that religious systems should not run the state and that the state should have no say in religious systems. Compare that to any other religion. Historian Bernard Lewis writes, in classical Arabic, there are no pairs of terms corresponding, lay and ecclesiastical, spiritual and temporal, secular and religious. It's not even found in ancient Arabic because these pairs of words express a Christian dichotomy that has no equivalent in the world of Islam. See, the church was not designed for political power. And the times in history when the church became uh, focused on political power, the church has floundered. Because when we get our eyes on politics instead of our eyes on Jesus, everything gets out of focus. And so today's very concept of modern government around much of the world is based on this separation modeled by Jesus. Jesus changed how we think about equal rights. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Up until this point, uh, women were treated as property, which reminds me right now of what we're seeing all across the news in the media today as all across North America celebrities and government leaders and people of influence are being brought down because the secrets are found out of how they have objectified women, how they have sexually harassed and abused their power over other people. And every time I see this, just it's like this every single day, there's this cascade of all these great and mighty people who are brought down by these scandals that are all over the place. And every time I see that, I think, oh my, what if there were a book, like an ancient book and a group of people in an organization designed to be able to live a life according to the word of God that said, hey men, keep your hands to yourself and sex is designed for the sacredness of marriage. Imagine how different things could be. Daughters were bought and sold back then. Women were treated as slaves with no human rights. Slavery was an acceptable practice, but Jesus proclaimed a community where every human being is treated with dignity, where in the church we are all created equal. Jesus said things like when someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. When someone compels you to go one mile, 
go with them too. When someone asks for your robe, give them your cloak as well. Love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Forgive those who do you wrong so that you too will be forgiven. This is radical stuff. Who would say such things? There was a writer Leo Tolstoy, who took these teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount and, and really emphasized them in his writing. And there was a British-trained lawyer who became intrigued with these writings on the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And he went and he led a peace revolution in South Africa and then took it back to his home country in India. That lawyer was named Mahatma Gandhi. And while he never became a Christian, he, he intrinsically tied and admittedly tied his whole philosophy around the teachings of Jesus as he learned in the writings of Tolstoy. Friends, we can't even imagine what a world would be like without Jesus. Mes amis, l'amour de Jésus change too. Jesus changes everything. Probably the most famous speech of the 20th century was given by a preacher named Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. is reading from his manuscript in this speech. And as he goes along, at one point, he throws in a quote from the Old Testament, the prophet of Amos. We will not be satisfied till justice rolls down like the waters and righteousness rolls like a mighty stream. And then he says, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. And at that point, the crowd goes wild and they start saying, preach it, Martin, amen, amen, like a church crowd. I, I, I said, like a church crowd. I said, like, like a church crowd. <laughs> well, like some church crowd. And so, and so... <laughs> And so all of a sudden, at this point, if you go and watch the video for yourself, you can see this turning point that takes place when he gets to that moment and people start to respond. And just beside him and just a little behind him, Mahalia Jackson says, tell them about your dream, Martin. And he begins to cry out to a nation as only a prophet could do, I have a dream. And he goes from the book of Amos to the book of Isaiah. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Where did this crazy radical idea come from? It came from the Bible. He said, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will eat together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. He said that my little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley will be exalted and every mountain and hill will be made low and the rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed 
revealed as all flesh, as all men see it together. And folks, this was nothing new. It was the dream of Jesus. These are the words of Scripture. There is no one who can shape a heart like Jesus because not only can he change the world in which we live, but he can come into our hearts and change that deep down messed up part inside of us. It's his dream. It's his dream. Folks, I cannot even imagine what a world would be like if there had been no Jesus. It's been said that he is the hinge of human history, that he is the hope of the oppressed, that he is the inspiration of the despairing, that he is the king of kings and the lord of all lords. He is the greatest teacher who ever lived. He is the greatest mind who ever thought. He sparked the greatest movement that ever spread. And he is the greatest gift that has ever been given. That, that he alone mastered life. That he alone conquered death, that he alone overcame sin, that he is the son of God, that he is the source of our restoration. He is the object of our exaltation. He is the only hope of our salvation because Jesus changes everything. And can you imagine a world without him? Let me tell you the good news today. You don't have to. Because Jesus is the greatest gift this world has ever received. And that is the message of Christmas. And listen, our job as Christians is to go out and give the gift of Jesus to others. <clears throat> to go and tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you do that? Let's stand together. And wherever you may be right now on your spiritual journey, Maybe you're here today, and this is a whole new way of thinking. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Or maybe you have made the commitment to Christ. But the fact of the matter is, you're really not allowing him to take lordship, to take control, to surrender to him. to sing this song of meditation that speaks of how God calls us from the darkness. We who are poor, we who are weary, we who have been dishonest, we who are brokenhearted, but that there is a community that we have been called to and a mission that we have been called to. And so would you just prepare your heart as we worship together. And then in a few minutes, we're going to together pray a prayer of commitment.
Sing all the poor and powerless. All the poor and powerless. And all the lost and lonely. All the thieves will come confess. And know that you are holy. And know that you are holy. And all will sing out. And all will sing out hallelujah. And we will cry out hallelujah. All the hearts who are content And all who feel unworthy And all who hurt with nothing left Will know that you are holy to send your only son. And though he was perfect and holy, he took on flesh and became a man like one of us and experienced temptations and trials and difficulties that he would know our experience. And in living that perfect life, he modeled for us the kingdom of God in a way that our world can only search and struggle to understand. But we have seen his fingerprints throughout history. We have seen his fingerprints even in the frail and broken church of Jesus. Many of us, we can see his fingerprints in our very own lives. And so for those of us here today who have never submitted and surrendered to him, we confess now, Lord, we need you. Forgive us for our sins. You died on the cross to take our place. We 
we receive your gift of forgiveness, the greatest gift ever given. We surrender our lives to you and we commit to go out into this world and follow you, not just to the best of our own ability, but empowered by the ability of your spirit. And Lord, that we would go from this place as ambassadors of this truth, messengers of this hope, as we go and tell it high upon the mountain and low down in the valley, that everyone would know that Jesus Christ is 